and welcome to the Good With Money, Smug Money podcast, a podcast that teaches you how to be good with your cash and where we speak to investment managers who tell us how they're being good with your cash as well. Now, just before we dive in, a little bit of small print, please do bear in mind that the information given in this podcast series isn't advice and that all investing carries a risk. My name is Jen Gale. Today, we're joined by Victoria Leggett and Ellie Cohen from UBP. And I'm going to be asking them how we can try to solve the world's environmental problems through investment. Hello, you guys. Welcome to this episode of the Good With Money podcast. It's fabulous to have you here. Um, Shall we kick off by asking you to introduce yourselves? Victoria, do you want to go first? Sure. Hi, I'm Victoria Leggett. I am the Head of Impact at UBP and um, I'm joined by my colleague. Hi, um, my name is Eli Cohen. I am the uh, co-fund manager for the uh, UBP's Positive Impact Fund uh, Investing in Emerging Markets. Brilliant. And just in case people haven't heard of UBP before, tell us what they do. Do you want to tell us, Eli? Sure. Uh, UBP, Union Bancaire Privé, it's a Swiss private bank, and we work in the asset management side of the business. Okay, brilliant. Now, we're going to talk today about um, trying to solve the world's environmental problems through investment. And um, I don't know if either of you saw it, but the program, um, as we're recording, it came out a week or two weeks ago, Extinction the Facts with David Attenborough, and I know he's been doing... Um, he's just joined Instagram, hasn't he? And he was on um, BBC Breakfast, I think, think, talking about his new Netflix thing. And one of the things that that he talks about in terms of our role as individuals in the climate crisis is, um, you know, changing what we eat and consuming less. But it's not that often that we hear people talk about changing what we invest in. Do you? Why do you think that is? Why do you think the focus? tends to be on consumption rather than what we're investing in and what are the things we need to do to change this that was the longest question in the world (laughs) it's a really it's a really important question um well there's there's a very obvious answer which is finance is really boring (laughs) you know investments that i i there aren't many people who genuinely want to spend a lot of time talking about their pension and and investments. Mm. Um, I'm so glad you said that. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I work in this industry and I I bore myself to death. It's easy to go to sleep at night. Um, But um, I I guess the other stuff, whether it's it's plant-based diet or turning your lights off, doing the recycling, it's all very tangible as well. Mm. It's easy to see when you're making a difference. Um, but I also think that answer is, is is kind of letting the finance industry off lightly um, because I think in part, you know, finance hasn't historically communicated with the end investor very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people on the whole, I don't think they have any idea of, of the power of the change that could be created, um, the, the power that their investments hold. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this, judging by... My friends and family, the standard view is, um, you know, that um, it's only for very wealthy people mm-hmm. or big companies that can make a difference yeah. the way they allocate money. But actually, um, I, I was 
looking at a few statistics ahead of this um, conversation, and and I found this one very powerful. That if you were to move ten thousand um, pounds, and bearing in mind we're talking about people's pensions, not mm. not savings and ISAs, but ten thousand pounds from a standard equity index tracker, which is where a lot of our pensions and money is tied up, mm-hmm. um, into a low carbon one. That that ten thousand pound switch saves almost uh, one ton of CO two. Wow. So that's not that in itself is half the problem. That's not meaningful, but that's the equivalent of about a thousand mi- a thousand kilometers driven in a car by yourself. Yeah, it's the equivalent of buying over two hundred and fifty new pieces of clothing from mm. a footprint. Wow! So there, there, that's a real meaningful change, and I, I don't think there's an awareness of mm. just how powerful individuals um, pensions and savings can be. And for uh, context on that carbon footprint and um, that carbon saving you were talking about, the average UK carbon footprint, depending on where you sort of take your data from, is around nine or 10 tonnes of carbon. So, you know, by switching your pension or your £10,000, you're slashing 10% off your carbon footprint just in half an hour or however long it takes to do it. And I just... It's the same as swapping to renewable energy. It just seems a, not necessarily a no-brainer because, as you say, it is a bit dull and it is a bit. You know, people have this perception it's going to be difficult, but once it's done, it's done. And um, yeah, and, and also we're just talking about carbon. Um, you know, the other factors that that could benefit from a switch are sometimes less easy to quantify. You know, you know the social impacts if you moved into into an impact fund that was trying to address various of the sustainable uh, development goals and mm. um, access to education that you might maybe providing people as capital flows towards companies pr- um, trying to provide solutions. I mean, you know, given the, the average pension fund in the UK is, I think, around 100,000. I've had a wow. lot of different data points of that at retirement. You know, this is the, this is the biggest single decision anyone will typically make regarding their environmental footprint and their mm. contribution to to fixing a lot of our problems. Um, and, you know, that's without considering how they allocate money to their children's ISAs, for example. Yes. So, yeah. So yeah. How, how do we change this then? How do we um, not necessarily move the focus, but I guess widen the focus so that we start um, to hear that message I guess as individuals that that this is something that has a tremendous amount of power as well whose whose responsibility is that I guess and and how do we make that happen that's a tough one I think um sadly I think it has to the answer to that has to involve regulation to an extent um I think there needs to be a regulation shift to ensure that the managers of people's money are compelled to kind of broaden this very narrow definition that they have of value mm-hmm. at the moment any 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 answer you'll get from an asset manager may typically say i have a fiduciary duty to my client which of course is true but the duty is to generate long-term value and if you expand that to mean non-financial as well as financial value mm. um then you the picture starts looking quite different so yes. I, I think that's a really important part of it but also communication in the financial community, and I include um, Ellie and I are, are um, sinners in this regard too. We particularly, actually, people who work within sustainable investment, we can spend 
days debating you know, the definition of impact, the difference between ESG and SRI. But Tell us what they mean. mean. <laughs> no, but I'm not sure the end investor uses this language typically. Yes. I think they care about making a difference, mm. not about terminology. And I, I think we as an industry have to give ourselves um, a bit of a shake up and start communicating in, in more normal language. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's a big barrier too. Yeah. And that goes hand in hand with frankly I think maybe the biggest problem which is that we have to rebuild trust with um retail investors. Um we need the, to to provide people with evidence that we are good stewards of capital and consider mm-hmm. our role to be you know a contributor to society. Yeah, just to take from it. Yes, and, and that that that's a that's a big ambition, but I think it's it's essential if we're going to achieve what we want to. Definitely, and that leads really nicely, actually, onto the my next question, which is, you know, if I'm playing devil's advocate, as you've just said, the the investment industry maybe hasn't had the best track record, whether that's just at communicating or in how it's perceived by the public, and um, as I think you said, that you need to sort of rebuild that trust. So how can we trust it now to deliver that positive impact? Just because an asset manager is saying it does, how can we believe that that's actually what's going to be done? I think I think that's a great question. I, I, I think it's a very valid question. And even when we look at uh, some of the funds that call themselves sustainable or low carbon or positive impact, and then look at what they actually invest in, Mm -hmm. we're a little bit surprised as to how those managers can justify holding some of of their names. So so then it is a very valid question. And and, um, I think the answer is that, unfortunately, it probably shouldn't be built on trust. I think it should be built on the investor side on education mm-hmm. and on the asset manager side on disclosure. And, and let me try to explain what I mean by that by giving an example from the food industry. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have uh, a lot of choices when it comes to food and you have all these companies uh, which have on their packaging, making all sorts of claims about how healthy their mm-hmm. food products are, uh, no uh, artificial ingredients or no, uh, all um, natural coloring or what, whatever. You know, they, they make a lot of claims. Um, but I think by now, a lot of us know that we shouldn't judge whether a, a food product is healthy or not by the claims the mm-hmm. manufacturer makes. And, and this is why. Uh, they have to disclose the actual ingredients mm-hmm. uh, and the macronutrients in their in their products. So those people who are actually interested uh, in in this, uh, when buying uh, a, a food item, they look at the packaging, uh, they look at the fine print, not mm-hmm. a, not what it says on bold letters, mm. but they say, okay, what are the ingredients? Can I pronounce the ingredients? If, <laughs> if you can't even pronounce them, you know, that's probably a good sign yeah. that it's got a lot of chemical. Co- and what's its protein um, content, fat, uh, saturated, unsaturated, sugar? So why, why couldn't we have that in the, in the investment world? But of course, that would require, one, a basic level of knowledge mm. and engagement 
from the investors yeah. to find out what their fund uh, invests in. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if they the, the least they can do is look at what what the fund is holding and what those companies are doing. If the fund says it's low carbon and then its holdings have a number of oil and gas companies, fossil mm. fuel companies in it, then it's probably not as low carbon as it claims to be. Yeah. And I'm not making this up. This exists, by the wow. way. Uh, so, uh, but then the other side of this is that the, the fund management industry, then we have to disclose data in an easily understandable mm. and standard way for investors to make informed choices. Yeah. I, th- I think the combination of that is really what's required rather than just trust. Yeah. Um, and I think this is the, this is the area which we, we should expand towards. And I think uh, rating agencies, for example, they can help also to make uh, uh, consumers to make informed choices. A lot of them, they uh, rate funds uh, based on financial performance. Yeah. Uh, and they can now start rating them on sustainability metrics. Okay. So with, um, forgive me, because I'm not a big investor, as Victoria says, I find it all quite um, grown up and, and sort of dull. So I don't tend to dive into looking at small print and things. And I think that's probably like the majority of us. But if I wanted to know um, where my money was being invested, how how would I generally find that out? Are um, funds... Is there a legal obligation for them to list who they're funded with? And is that buried deep somewhere or should I be able to see that quite nice and clearly? You you should be able to see quite nice and clearly which companies they invest in. So Mm -hmm. say you're invested, so your pension fund is invested in, uh, you know, fund A, then you could... uh, Usually they they would provide you with the holdings. Okay. uh, uh, But I think... Uh, the the data they they are um, asked to provide to you today is perhaps not enough for mm. you to make those choices. Uh, they they for example we don't need to provide any kind of sustainability metrics. We don't. Right. Need, I mean we, we do that as a plus, but it's not a requirement. Yeah. Uh, so if you wanted to know the say the carbon emissions of a fund per yeah. million dollar invested yeah. or per per thousand dollar invested, whatever. Uh, I don't think you can easily get that data. Yeah. Um, so I think there should be uh, some direction from, yeah. from the regulators to make this data available in a standard and easily accessible way. Yeah. Today, it's not. Yeah. The, the holdings of the fund are, but uh, a lot of the sustainability d- related data, it's it's not uh, disclosed. So in the same way that um, usually it's quite easy to see um, a sort of expected percentage return and that kind of thing, it would be really lovely along li- alongside that to see a, a carbon cost per, as you said, $1,000 or $100,000 or whatever. And, and that would make it so much easier, wouldn't it, for us as consumers to the, then make a more informed decision. So in terms of that role of regulators and governments, do you think they do need to play, I mean, it sounds like you do think they need to play a greater role. And what are the kinds of things that they can be doing to um, either encourage or enforce um, changes on the industry? 
I, I think the, by far the most important role uh, they can play is through um, regulating better data disclosure, mm -hmm. both for companies and fund managers. Now, for companies, as you know, today we, we have a very developed um, financial reporting standards. You know, you, you can see, you can look at these companies which have hundreds of billions of dollars of revenues and costs. And we know, you know, pound by pound where those revenues are coming from um, and uh, where the expenses are, are going mm -hmm. to. So there's a very good level of disclosure uh, from a financial point of view. They are, which are independently audited. Mm -hmm. But we have nothing close to that when it comes to sustainability metrics. For example, if I want to know what is the carbon emissions of this company, what's their, how much waste do they create, mm. how much of that waste is recycled, how much water do they use, what's their energy consumption, uh, where is that energy coming from? Is it renewable or, or fossil fuel-based? Mm. Or um, what is the staff turnover? What's the gender diversity yeah. among top management uh, among the employees and what's the pay level differences, for mm -hmm. example, the, based on gender. You, you know, there's a lot of sustainability related data that today companies are not required to disclose. Mm. Now, some companies do. And um, on this, actually, the, the, there's a wide range of practice. For example, some companies come up with really good sustainability reports where you can find all of this data, mm -hmm. but they're not required to do so. Mm. so. So then there's a lot of companies, in fact, most companies, which do not disclose this data. So as fund managers, we have to constantly chase these companies, trying mm. to get this information from them. And based on the relationship we have, sometimes we can, but they are under no obligation to, to provide us with that data. Yeah. And this is where we need uh, most help from regulators. We mm -hmm. need better sustainability data disclosure from the companies. Mm -hmm. And in return, once we have that data and we do our investments, we can aggregate the, this data based on the fund and we can say, this is, these are the sustainability metrics of our fund. And I think we should also be uh, asked to make this data available to consumers mm -hmm. uh, who can then make really informed choices based on uh, what their values are mm. and what our fund offers on those values. We can align uh, investors' values with the metrics of yeah. the fund. Yeah. So what do you think the biggest changes are we still need to see to turn that the sort of dial of investment once and for all towards positive impact? I think it's, um, I think it's a combination of what we've been discussing, really. Um, it's, a, it's a real uh, top-down meets bottom-up mm. situation. Um, you, know, you need the allocators of capital, the real decision-makers. They've got to understand um, what their fiduciary duty really is going forward. Um, and and that they need to create value in a broader sense than financial alone. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I think there's still 
a lot of concern that um, there is a financial compromise with investing yes. in this way. And I think that is really, a, that just takes time and um, and kind of and the, the associated familiarity and trust that these products hopefully will be delivering superior long-term returns. I mm. think when that becomes um, a more accepted and embedded view, then then the capital will naturally flow. Yeah. Um, but you know, going back to um, one of the points that Eddie made, we need better data to. Mm. You know, we need as an industry um, kind of more and better trustworthy, standardised and audited data um, on the non-financial metrics so that we can we can give people a full picture of their of their investments. Um, To use another food example, um, these days you wouldn't you wouldn't dream of going and buying a chicken or a box of eggs without knowing whether they were or weren't free range, um, whether they were or weren't organic, um, whether they were, uh, you know, British laid eggs or, or, from, or had been imported. You want to know about your food miles. You want mm-hmm. to make, it doesn't matter what decision you make at the end of that, but you feel entitled to that information. Yeah. Um, and, and investors at the moment just don't have that um, mm. on anything really much beyond um financial and to an extent carbon data which is is a good a good change but it's only a first step Mm. um but it's also going to require the end investor to vote with their feet yes and i understand the the responsibilities and all the work that we need to do as an industry to help them with that but ultimately um, much like you will switch your utilities and turn the lights off Mm -hmm. um, changing investments needs to become embedded in how people think about their responsibility for the planet and the people on it. Yeah. And I think as investors as well, um, some of that bottom up pressure can, because I know when we, we inherited some money and we spoke to our financial advisor and we were the first people who'd asked about ethical investments. He, you know, he had to kind of run off and, and do a lot of research and find out all these things. But the more of us that are asking our financial investors, the more they will realise that there's a demand for this and therefore get better informed and educated. And I think somebody said to me that they'd had a chat with their financial advisor and, and they were, you know, straight up, they were offered, do you want to have a look at the ethical kind of funds and portfolios rather than it, it coming from us to have to ask hopefully if the demand is enough then financial advisors will be offering that as an option and so those people who don't realize it is an option might then go oh wow okay so um yeah as you say kind of totally voting with our money and and moving our money but also I think um that kind of um just gentle nudges of um uh financial advisors and things like that can be really powerful definitely definitely somebody's listening to this and they think right I just I want to move my money I want to do my bit but I don't really have that much confidence or belief in investment markets to to change um where their ISA or their pension money is going what advice have you got for them well I guess one question I would ask them is if we if we just take this back to first principles and if you have 10 pounds to invest now 
and you want to access it in 30, 30 years time, where is your confidence highest? Would you invest it in um, oil companies, tobacco companies, um, old industry, mm-hmm. um, or would you feel more confident with a 30-year horizon investing it behind clean energy mm. technology, which is solving problems, um, companies that are innovative and trying to find solutions for anything from um, healthcare issues to environmental ones. Mm. If you stood back and look at, looked at it like that, with that time horizon, what gives you a, a, a gut feeling that would be more successful in the longer term? Yeah, and, and I guess also what gives you the gut feeling that that's a nicer thing to do. <laughs> Um, Ellie, did you have any any advice for anyone just tentatively dipping their toes in? Yeah, I think I think one other thing is really to just spend a little bit of time to educate themselves on mm. uh, you know how how these funds work, what they invest in, the types of companies. Because you know I, I'm not expecting anybody to become financial experts, but to completely being uh, disengaged in what your money invested mm. is invested in seems to me just wrong, uh, you know, because it's it has consequences. Just yeah. like your uh, consumption patterns uh, has consequences, your mm. investment uh, also has consequences, and and you can't fully outsource that. Yes, you can expect you have the right to expect support from the asset managers from the regulators, um, from uh, fund selectors. But at the end of the day, you have to take some responsibility on where your money is being spent. Mm. And you, 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 I think um, you have to spend some time getting to know the funds in which you're invested. So yeah. educating yourself. And I guess the payoff of that is that you get that feel-good factor, don't you? When you get your annual statement for whatever you also get to know that because you've done that bit of research that actually that that money and that hopefully return you've seen on that money is um is doing good stuff in the world as well so you can revel in absolutely (laughs) most asset managers um who have or run impact funds will produce annual impact reports and will produce educational material on their websites and the purpose of these reports is to show precisely that um, non-financial ways in which you you've mm. um, contributed throughout the last year and and your uh, your kind of non-financial dividend as such and so I I echo Ellie's comments use use those resources they're they're free to all um, they they are accessible and um, there's a lot of work going into trying to make those data points as, as accurate as possible um, and seek out platforms for example the big exchange they've done a lot of the hard work for people they they aggregate a number of funds and they have a very rigorous um, ranking policy on specifically on the sustainability of those funds okay. so, um, there is there is um, a, a number of there are a number of um, companies out there that can can help make the decision easier Brilliant. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, guys. It, I think it's quite empowering as well to know that 
our money has the potential to make this positive impact um, with just a little bit of digging around and and maybe a little bit of switching. So I I, I genuinely think it is um, a hugely empowering thing to do. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing your expertise. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. It's been great to be here.